when you look at some of the Moderna numbers, remember 30,000 people in testing got this vaccine, plus 30,000 people who got the placebo. And the, the reactions that folks are talking about saying, oh, well, look, three people had this. Well, it turns out um, two people had it in the placebo group too. Certain things just happen when you're talking about tens of thousands of people that would have happened even if the vaccine had never been on the horizon, even if the pandemic had never been on the horizon. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I'm a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another live broadcast of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that in which we discuss the goings-on in the nursing home industry, and we try to really explain it in a way that we can all understand without having to make believe that we're smarter than we really are. One of the things that have been intriguing to everybody during the, this uh, era of COVID has been the vaccine when am I going to be able to get the vaccine? Who gets the vaccine first? Who gets it second? Does it work? Is it dangerous? Am I going to die if I get it? Am I going to die if I don't get it? Uh, what happens if not everybody gets vaccinated? And lots and lots of other questions. And this is something that is critical that we that we speak about. And a little shout out to Brian Wallace for connecting me with Dr. G today. Dr. G is a family physician who got her COVID vaccine today and has been seeking out questions from people and been very open on social uh, about the journey and has received a lot of questions. So we're very excited to bring Dr. G onto the Nursing Home Podcast. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here. Okay. Well, I'm really glad that you took some time, kind of spur of the moment, and this is that's more fun for me personally. <laughs> um, but so just before we jump in, before we dive in, my listeners know a little bit about me already, but can you give us a brief overview of who you are professionally so that our listeners and myself, we can learn who we're going to be hearing from um, over the next few minutes? Sure. I'm a family doctor, which means that I see kids and grownups, and in a lot of cases, also those kids' grandparents and sometimes great-grandparents. I'm at what's called a federally qualified health center in uh, Pennsylvania, and we see folks, primarily folks who are underserved, you know, people who are uninsured or uh, have a, a religious or a cultural linguistic barrier to care, but we also take care of really everyone in our community. I've been a family doctor for 20, almost 21 years now. I went to University of Pittsburgh Medical School. I did my residency near Philadelphia at Abington Memorial Hospital. And then I worked in a rural area where I rounded in nursing homes as well as seeing patients in the office and doing house calls. And now uh, I'm in Pittsburgh where I also get to see folks in house calls in the office and in the hospital. Wow, so you've been around the block. Uh, yeah, kind of a, a lot of experience. Many yeah, I mean, in many different settings. Um, so you rounded a nursing home. That's something I did not know. So you really know this industry um, super well. Um, and and you've probably seen, you've seen the children, their parents, their great-grandparents. Um, so let's start with the vaccine. You got the vaccine today. Show um, You ready? Yeah. Okay. Live and not it, listening. That is it. That is it. Okay. So it's proof. It's proof. <laughs> it has indeed happened. Um, so a, a couple of questions. Uh, first question is, 
uh, is it more than I, I honestly don't know so much about this. I'm going to ask all the dumb questions, but Please do. ask Did everything you... you think someone might wonder. Okay. And then you'll, you'll tell me the things that I missed. First of all, you got the Pfizer vaccine or is I there an... I got the Moderna vaccine? So I'll get a second one in 28 days instead of 21 days. Pfizer's 21 days in between and Moderna's 28. Okay. So are there other vaccines? And, and you don't have to know all the answers either because I know sure. <laughs> this sure. is new, but you know, if you ask me something that I don't know the answer to, there right. are 10 vaccines actively in development in the United States. And I don't know, you may have listeners outside the US, but there are 10 vaccines in development here. And right now there are two that have been given emergency use. And these are the two, Pfizer and Moderna. But in January, February, we can expect to see other companies also being able to distribute their vaccines. Mm -hmm. And are these essentially the same vaccine, just different Coke and Pepsi? Pfizer and Moderna, you could think of like Coke and Pepsi because what's in them and the mechanism, the mRNA that's used to deliver them. And please don't push too hard on my biochemistry, but I can explain it a little bit. Um, okay. they're, very, they're very similar. I'm sure that there would be Pfizer and Moderna executives who would tell me I'm wrong. Uh, but in the, the scope, you know, very much like not being in the beverage industry, I would say Coke and Pepsi are pretty similar, although I think they mm -hmm. taste different. Uh, they are they are pretty similar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so you, both of them are two doses. Now, I know the Pfizer vaccine, I think, is one that had uh, some significant challenges in regards to storage and very low temperatures. Moderna, the Pfizer, same thing? Pfizer needs more specialized care than Moderna, but Moderna isn't something that I could stick in my home freezer either. Okay. And uh, who is... Okay, this is on the spot here, so I'm just yeah. processing this. Who, sure. who are the ones who are administering these vaccines? So in um, anyone can be trained to administer a vaccine, almost anyone, really. Uh, but there is a short training course that everybody who's doing this is taking. And I mean, it's, it's online, like everything is right now. It's the safest way to be. But it's not a technically complicated procedure. Mixing up, making sure the care of the vials, that you follow the instructions really carefully. For example, once a Moderna vial is taken out of the freezer and opened, it's got six hours for those doses to be used. And there's about 10 doses per vial. So it's got six hours for those 10 doses. So for example, where I went, we were making sure we had folks staggered so that people didn't see each other because of social distancing, but making sure we could get 10 people in in a, a reasonable time frame and not waste any doses. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, um, as far as who gets it and who doesn't get it, like how does that work? So obviously you're a physician. Uh, so I assume if I wanted to get it, it wasn't an option for me. Not yet. So I... I want to answer your question in two ways. Who do we know it's safe for? We know it's safe for non-pregnant, non-breastfeeding adults, uh, actually people 16 and older. Okay. So that's who we know right now it would be okay to give it to. What you're talking about is the supply and demand issue. So because it will take some time to get enough doses into hospitals and community centers and things like that, uh, the government has stratified who should get it first, who should get it second, and those recommendations are still being rolled out. So definitely the first folks to get it in a lot of states, and, and some states have gone a different way, but in a lot of states and the recommendations coming out of the National Institutes of Health and the CDC and the FDA are that frontline healthcare workers and nursing home residents be in the first group. They've also made announcements about the second group, but some governors have decided to sign executive orders and go around that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So now, so whoever, so everyone gets it whenever they get it. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. 
So I have like four questions coming at the same time. Let me try to do this one at a time. Um, again, uh, and again, this is this is not a physician question, but you know more about this. Is this ever going to be mandatory? Uh, so there is a difference between mandatory, like, are you going to throw me in jail if I don't get it, and required. So I okay. do believe, um, as so I, I see kids in my practice, and there are anybody who's ever taken a child to the doctor and for a well visit has been talked to about immunizations, and there are what are called required vaccines and recommended vaccines. Mm -hmm. So vaccines go on the required list. That means schools will require them. That means youth programs will require them. Certainly, workplaces can mandate vaccines. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of nursing homes, I'm guessing, and I'll, I'll ask you, but as far as I know, certainly from some of my patients who work in nursing homes, certain nursing homes say, if you want to work here, you have to get the flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. You don't have to work here, but if you want to work here, you need and to you, get the flu vaccine, right? right, even if you're the administrator and you're pretty right. much hands off with the residents. So they may mandate matter. the flu vaccine. So that would be mandatory in that workplace. Mm -hmm. um, it would be, it might be, and some states it is and some states it isn't, the flu vaccine might be required as one of the school vaccines or for different youth programs or different jobs. Um, you know, some states they require their EMS and firefighters to have their flu shot and some states they recommend but don't require. So that's maybe the language we're talking about. When people talk about mandated, they tend to think like, well, what are the police gonna do? Um, right, right. So I think of mandated in terms of you can't come in without it but you don't have to come in. There's no law that you have to work here or that you have to be in our program, whatever. Um, and then will the state place it on the required list or the recommended list? And I, I don't know. It's going to depend mm -hmm. on several factors, um, mostly how prevalent this virus stays in our community. H1N1 had a vaccine developed against it. It didn't stick around long enough. The virus itself didn't um, have a strong enough impact for a long enough period to become a required vaccine. It stayed on the recommended list. Does that mm -hmm. only answer that yeah. question in English? Um, a, a, a lot of the ways. I mean, the way okay. I'm thinking about this is that you don't have to drive a car in the United States, but if you want to drive a car on a public roadway, you have to have collision insurance mm -hmm. because, and it's mandated. Otherwise, we can take away your car. Right. I probably won't put you in jail, but if you're a risk to other people by hitting them, even if you don't care about your car, um, then we won't allow you on the roadways. So, if you don't want to get vaccinated and you still want to walk around and potentially infect others, that probably won't be like collision insurance, right? Even a required vaccine. Like we're not We've never done that with a vaccine. We've never said okay. you can't leave your home. Uh, I want to think back, you know, I'm in Pittsburgh where the uh, polio vaccine was designed and implemented first. Um, it, was, it was created here by Dr. Salk. We're very proud of that. And uh, if any of your listeners remember when people could get polio and how terrifying that was, I have some patients still who are alive with what's called post-polio syndrome, and they just wish that they'd had the vaccine. So that was something that, you know, polio was spread in the water and kids were locked in their homes in the summer when there would be outbreaks. And when the vaccine came along, there was much rejoicing. And I think even that one, we didn't say you can't leave your home if you don't get it. I, I don't see in mm -hmm. a country where we've demonstrated pretty clearly that we value liberty over life. Uh, I don't see those laws passing. Okay. That, that could be a whole separate conversation, but let's leave that for now. Um, but so, somebody who is vaccinated, right? So first of all, there's two doses, right? Yes. Um, uh, so how are you? Is that the question? That that's the second question. But first oh. of all, you tell me that they both have different two doses—one whatever, twenty-one days in between, mm -hmm. or twenty-eight days. 
Um, I guess that's a vaccine that requires multiple doses. Um, I know most vaccines do. Yeah. Right. I just know. Thank God, I have multiple children with multiple vaccines, and uh, it can get very confusing at times. Who's gotten what? And um, as I'm sure happens in your practice. Yeah. So I, have, I know the I question. Myself as a mom, I have four boys in six years, and I would just keep printing it out every time from the state. Who's had what? What are we up to? Okay. <laughs> So the, the similar situation. Um, you have you're vaccinated. Are you free? You walk outside without a mask. You're done. No, no, not at all. Okay. So there's a couple of things. First of all, I was vaccinated almost three hours ago. I had to look at the clock. Okay. <laughs> um, it takes about ten days to two weeks for the vaccine to help my immune system develop the immunity that it's going to develop from this first dose. That's one thing. Okay. So okay. even if I knew that I was totally covered after one dose, I, would, I wouldn't uh, count on that for two weeks. But okay. I'm not totally covered after one dose. I have, for Moderna, about 70% chance of not becoming ill from COVID after the first dose. And I don't get up to that 94.7% protection, which is remarkably high for a vaccine. Really great news. But I don't well, get up to that. for a vaccine. Uh, it totally depends. It absolutely depends. Like we have required vaccines that give 48% coverage up to required vaccines that give 95% plus required, you know, required vaccines that give 95% coverage. But really it's, it's usually a little lower than this. This is excellent. Um, okay. In any case, what I was going to say, uh, the, the end of that Sorry. question, that answer is that if after I've had the second dose and then wait 10 days to two weeks. So for me, that's early February. Because if I get my next dose on January 21st, then by January 31st, February 1st, 2nd, 3rd, somewhere around there, I've got as much coverage as I'm going to get from this. But what we haven't yet proven with the studies, and I believe we will, Moderna's early research is coming out that this does work, but we don't yet know that because I've had the vaccine, I can't carry it to someone else. What we know is that nobody who's had the Moderna, I'll use as an example, the Moderna vaccine has gotten very ill from COVID and only 5.3% of people got ill from COVID after the vaccine. That's that 94.7% coverage. So I will feel much more comfortable going out into the world once I get to early February. I will feel like, wow, even if I catch it, I'm not going to get very sick for sure. And I'm probably not going to get sick. We are likely to know at some point in the next few months that that vaccine can replace my mask, but we don't know it yet. And because I've been wearing a mask this whole time to protect my family, to protect my loved ones, to protect my patients, to protect my neighbors. And also it's not that big of a, an obstacle, right? I mean, I wear pants or a skirt all the time. I can wear a mask. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. You get used to it. Um, and, and, yeah, and it certainly can work. Now, is this true with the Pfizer vaccine as well? Uh, yes. That there, we don't yet have the data because it's not what they focused on in their research. First, they focused on can we pe keep people from getting ill? Can we keep people out of the hospital? Can we reduce the burden on, like, can people live and we can reduce the burden on our healthcare system? That's where they did their studies first because that's the most important question to answer, Brian, is can this vaccine save your life? Now mm -hmm. we're going to see the follow-up research of does this vaccine save the lives of the people in your home, in your family, in your nursing home, in your community? 
Okay, so for example, people like my parents who have been super careful and staying home and you know making sure that they're following all the guidelines. They don't make a move without their doctor, and they're looking forward to getting the vaccine. Good. Hopefully they'll hopefully they'll get it soon, and you know they get they're they're in line. Um, they're hoping to, you know, uh, they, even you know even for me to come there with my children. Uh, so even with social distancing, only some of the kids, the ones that we could trust that they'll actually maintain, you know, a safe distance. And it's a challenge, obviously. Sure. So they're hoping that once the vaccine comes, uh, this is actually what we spoke about when we were there, because <laughs> it's a strange uh, type of meeting, is that they'll, they'll be able to somehow get a little bit more of a semblance of normalcy in their life. And specifically for them at their stage in the game, they, you know, they don't want to take any chances. So yes. This is not a, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, <clears throat> bubble, but that's probably not going to happen right away. Right? Um, so I, I want to push back on that a little bit. I'm actually doing a call Monday evening for uh, a nursing home that's getting the vaccine available to be administered Tuesday in Florida. And okay. so the residents want to ask questions Monday night. And okay. one question, they sent me some of the questions beforehand. And a lot of them are, why should I get this? Well, I'm going to say to a senior, who's eligible for this vaccine, right? Who's old enough to get it because it depends on what state you're in, how old that age limit is. So I don't want to give a number. I want to say, mm -hmm. once you have had both doses of this vaccine and gotten two weeks out, you can hug people. You won't get sick. Your parents, once they've had the vaccine, they can hug people. I can't yet say, Shmuel, let's say, and you know, I hope to God you don't have this, but let's say you had someone of your kids who was at risk for some reason. I couldn't say to you, it's safe for that child to hug them because for that child's sake, because we don't yet have that proven. I think it will end up being true, but we don't know it for sure. But it will be safe for your mom at two weeks after her final dose to hug her grandkids because she won't get ill from COVID. Okay. It's, I'm going to let her know. <laughs> like, that chokes me up. You know, when I think about my dad, who's going to turn 82 in February um, and moved to the city to be close to me and his four grandsons, I, mm -hmm. I want that for him. I mean, I want it for mm -hmm. me, too, but I really want it for him. Wow. Wow. So that is fascinating. So, so that is a game changer. So and but you're saying that because from the group from, let's say, my children's sake, they're, thank God they're not especially high risk. Great. Um, so it would be it wouldn't be different than any other healthy adult. But uh, right. then my question, I guess, is that we are trying to maintain social distancing, anyone who's not immediate family. Good. So just because they were vaccinated, they could potentially transmit it to my right. children. Right, that, that part I can't prove yet because there isn't the science there yet. I really hope that if you and I talk again in April, we'll have a different conversation because we'll know, we'll know things then that we don't know now. But based on what we're sure of now, I have to say that's got to be the line. We got to still wear masks and socially distance unless both people have been, you know, to know that both people would be safe in the hug. I'm picturing a hug. Can you tell I'm a hugger? Um, to know that both people would be safe in the hug, they both have to be a couple of weeks after their second dose of the vaccine. Oh, okay. So technically, if the even if it did not prevent transmission, but if everybody, um, if everybody gets vaccinated 100%, so then they also we would it would be as if it never happened 
Um, I, 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 that's probably doubtful to assume that everyone's going to be vaccinated because just for like sure. any vaccine. First of all, there is in every population, there are some people who can't take a vaccine. They're on mm -hmm. immunosuppression medications or certain other situations where the vaccine isn't safe for them. That's why they're counting on all of the rest of us to get it because that will drive the numbers of, of the virus that will actually start to extinguish the virus itself. That's what people mean by herd immunity. When there's mm -hmm. enough of us who are immune, there aren't enough hosts for the virus for it to continue to flourish. And then it can die by itself. Okay. Okay, no, uh, no worries at all. Okay, there's one question that did come up here. I, I put a comment over here on the screen. I think you could see it as well. This question is, Dr. Chi, have you heard anything about side effects from the vaccine? So I know the media, as soon as there's anyone with a side effect, we're going to blow it up. Um, is that a real concern? Yeah, well, okay, so it's a real thing. It's not a real concern to me because um, what side effects mean, so there's a difference between an adverse reaction, meaning something that happens to you that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't had the vaccine and happens to you now and puts you in danger. That's what we call, and pharmaceutical companies call adverse reactions, right? Like, is bad. Um, and those are the ones that I'm nervous about. When you look at some of the Moderna numbers, remember 30,000 people in testing got this vaccine, plus 30,000 people who got the placebo. And the, the reactions that folks are talking about saying, oh, well, look, three people had this. Well, it turns out um, two people had it in the placebo group too. Certain things just happen when you're talking about tens of thousands of people that would have happened even if the vaccine had never been on the horizon, even if the pandemic had never been on the horizon. But I want to mention to your the person who asked the question, it's a great question. Right now, doesn't hurt. Tomorrow morning, one of my kids touches that arm, I expect to be pretty irritable with them. Um, my arm is for sure, almost certainly going to be sore. Also, six to 10%, I think with Moderna, of folks get headache, fatigue, body ache, fever, some symptoms. This is one of the ways to know that your immune system gets it, sees that this is a problem. A fever is actually an immune response. Your body creates a fever when it detects something foreign that can't live at 101 degrees Fahrenheit, but you can. <laughs> so it does that to try and knock it out. Kids, God willing, as soon as we can start to vaccinate kids are going to have even more robust fever responses to the vaccine because their bodies are better at mounting a fever response from the time they're babies because they don't have as many other defense mechanisms like adults do. So I actually expect I may feel kind of lousy this weekend. Those are side effects like you asked about and not major uh, reactions, adverse reactions. Mm -hmm. And that can be typical of other vaccines as well? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So, okay, so that's a very important distinction. That a typical side effect and those sorts of minor things that are indications uh, that the body is recognizing this foreign substance. But it substance. may not feel minor. You might feel really sick for a few days. You can always call your family doc, your healthcare provider and say, should I feel like this? But mm -hmm. especially now I'd say, don't go to the ER first unless there's difficulty breathing uh, or something else really startling. If you're just not feeling well, uh, call your doc and run it by them and find out if it's a reasonable thing and what you can do to feel better because it's only gonna last a few days. Until the next dose. Uh, no, actually I expect to have several good weeks before the next dose. It's gonna <laughs> last a few days. And then I expect more side effects with the second dose because my body already recognizes this and says, wait, 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 we know this is bad. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then I'm fully immunized. Cool. So. You got, you got to thank you from Ellie for answering her question. Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. 
Um, but okay, so this is so. What about adverse reactions? Like you mentioned, have have those happened? How frequently have they happened? Do you know? And so what have, can we expected? I, I apologize. I don't have those numbers and figures at my, um, you know, at the, on the edge of my tongue the way I do about side effects. Uh, but I can tell you that they had fewer adverse reactions and certainly fewer dangerous adverse reactions in a study when there's one dangerous adverse reaction they have to stop the study remember that the pfizer study stopped for a little while early in the fall um sometimes they stop by region uh, we only stopped ours mm -hmm. here in the west europe kept um, kept theirs going because they didn't see anything like that it was one person who was eventually determined that that was an a disease and issue in their brain that would have happened having nothing to do with the vaccine and it was one person uh, it is far safer. If you want to think about, am I going to die? It is far safer to get the vaccine than to take your chances with this virus. Take your chances with the virus, meaning getting the virus or of getting right. the virus? I've certainly heard people say, well, you know, if I want to be immune, I'll just get it. It won't be that big a deal. Except that at every age, children least of all, but even children are dying from this. Nobody's dying from the vaccine. It's safer to get the vaccine than it is to get the illness. Also, wow. people who've had had the virus just a little, right? They had it, but they had mild symptoms, or they know for sure they were an asymptomatic carrier because they had a positive test, but no symptoms. Those mm -hmm. folks seem to have some immunity, but for, for as little as a few months, because it wasn't enough for your body to say, oh yeah, this is bad. We're going to recognize this. We're going to crush it when it comes back. So getting a, you know, it's like... Um, it's like if you drop one drop of food coloring into water, if it's a big enough container of water, after a minute, you can't even see that it's there. It was too weak an amount. The vaccine is the same amount every time for each adult. And we know that it's enough to trigger your immune response so that you will be protected. So there's word in the street and, uh, you know, I had COVID, not me, but let's say someone had COVID. Now mm -hmm. I have antibodies. I'm good to go. It's like I was vaccinated. And for 90 uh, days, that's true. For 90 days, that's true. And it would be lovely of you to step to the back of the line so that folks who haven't had it or don't know they've had it um, or at higher risk in some way could get vaccinated. But we only know that that's true for 90 days. So mm -hmm. please don't take that to mean and never have to think about this vaccine. You know, Shmuel, if I can, I'd like to talk about why it's so hard to consider taking this vaccine. Please in do. addition to being a family doc, I, uh, I'm a resilience expert. I do a lot of research and writing and speaking, um, even on TV, about resilience. And the thing about resilience is that when we're confronted with a change, any change, our brain goes through certain processes automatically to try to protect us. Think about when you found out that your community was shutting down because of COVID. The very first thing you thought about was, wait, what are we going to lose? Am I still going to be able to do my job to support my family? Will I still be able to get the food they need? What if my child needs to go to the doctor? Like, what am I going to lose? And the next thing that almost everyone's brain does, not just with that change, but with any big change, is think, is this really necessary? Is this really the right? They distrust. Is this right? Should I am skeptical? And being skeptical, that keeps you and your family safer. You got to think it through and be a critical thinker. Even after you've decided like, okay, there's some loss here, and but it is actually happening. And I think maybe it's necessary. The first thing you feel next is actually discomfort. Where is this too tight? Or where is this too restrictive? Or where is this too difficult? It isn't until you remember that after this change, you still have choices. 
you can still make up your mind about within that new framework what works for you and then engage with it that you can start to be resilient that remembering that you have options and figuring out what your goal is and how to align what your action is going to be to your goal that's how we become more resilient and so even change that you wanted like many of us have been hoping and praying for a vaccine because we wanted an end to this pandemic an end to the shutdowns and the lock-ins and the distancing and the masks well this is it starting but even a change you wanted first causes your brain to look for loss and distrust and discomfort. Sometimes though, what people do is when they, they get something they wanted and then they start to feel distrust and discomfort, they think, oh, I must've been wrong. My gut reaction says, no, I'm gonna reject this change. I don't want you to let your brain fool you that way. I want you to go ahead and notice what you're worried about in terms of loss. Notice what you're distrustful of. Notice what's uncomfortable. But remember, that's just your brain trying to make sure that you're fundamentally okay and give you the opportunity to use your critical thinking. It's not proof that the new change is bad. Wow. Look at this. We get, we're getting the, the full package today. <laughs> we're learning it's really hard. About you the know? vaccine from a clinical standpoint. Yeah. I mean, but, but you're, you're bringing it full circle because this is so true and it, it's, it's, um, it's crazy. Uh, if you think about how difficult the life has been and how much have we all complained about the inconveniences and, and not just inconveniences, uh, who doesn't Hardship. know people. Uh, I mean, I know family members who are no longer with us because of COVID and I know community members who have lost their lives from COVID. And it's, you know, the fact that we have to wear a mask is a little bit inconvenient is relatively minor, but now <laughs> And the after effects of COVID for people who've recovered from it, but haven't fully recovered, we're going to still be learning about that for years, right? This is a really hard, difficult time that most of us have prayed for an end to. But when a, a path to that end comes, we think, wait, wh why don't, why am I not running towards it? Do I, does my gut know something I don't know? I should back off. I should let someone else go first. And I totally understand that all change is hard. Even change you want is hard. But that doesn't mean we should reject it. It is just our brains trying to make sure that we and the people we love are going to be okay. Well, so, what, so when the opportunity does come, let's just recognize exactly what is going on mm -hmm. in our brains at that point. I have another question here that just going back to the clinical part of the conversation for a moment for that sure. came up. Um, you're saying that antibodies, another Ellie, um, you're saying that antibodies may only protect you for a limited time. How long will the vaccine protect you for? There's very limited knowledge of how long the vaccine's protection will last. So there's no guarantee the vaccine is more effective than the antibodies. That's a question. Okay, so we do know actually that the virus it causes antibodies and we know that the vaccine causes antibodies. But as I was trying to explain before, and I don't know if I did a clear job, the vaccine gives you a guaranteed strength of response. Um, we don't know yet if this will be a yearly vaccine like the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine is yearly more because the virus mutates than because the vaccine needs to be boosted. Almost every vaccine needs to be boosted. If you haven't had a tetanus shot in 10 years, you should go get another one. If, you're, um, if you are under 65, but you've had a pneumonia shot, you need another one in five years. Um, if you got hep B, you need, you know, as one vaccine, you need two more. If you got HPV in, within a year, you need another one. So it is normal for our immune system to need another shot at something, to recognize it, go, oh, right, 
that. Think of it like your kids. Like you say to your kids, hey, I, you know what, you guys, it's too much of a mess right in our front entryway. I don't want anybody leaving their backpacks and their shoes, just whatever. And they go, okay, and they clean it up. But they need a bunch more reminders before they walk in and say, oh, right, don't, don't leave my backpack on the ground. That's a problem. I end up having to stop what I'm doing and come back and fix that. So our immune system needs to be nagged a little bit too and reminded a little bit too. It looks like actually, based on studies from Japan and Europe and China, that we may not need this vaccine every year, that these antibodies might last for years, possibly even decades. But we cannot guarantee that from the illness itself. Um, and so in the strength of the reaction that you would mount. So if you want to know that when you come into contact with COVID, you're not going to get very ill, you need the vaccine. And mm -hmm. There's no harm in this, right? It's not to say there are no side effects and it's not to say that there are no possible adverse reactions, but they are more mild than several other vaccines that I've given to my kids. Something that happens in my office small a lot is that because I absolutely see patients who are vaccine hesitant and, mm -hmm. and they'll say to me, well, you know, you're getting money from big pharma. So I'd like to say right up front, I've never seen that check. If, if, if I'm getting paid by Big Pharma, the checks have all been lost. And so all my colleagues. It's in the mail. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's in the mail. I've been a doctor for 21 years, though. I think it's not coming. I'm not counting on it. Um, the other thing is I say, look, if you don't trust me about anything else, can you trust me that I love my children? Um, all four of my kids have had every vaccine that I can give them. And I have under my hands taken care of people who have died from or been injured from every vaccine preventable illness on earth. So please consider that I'm coming from a place of really wanting you not to die. Wow. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. I also want to reiterate what you said a few minutes ago is that I, I've heard this. People say, um, yeah, I'll just get it. You know, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'll get it. I, I know so many other people got it. They were sick, you know, for a few days, and now they're free and clear because they have antibodies and they're good to go. Um, the risk of the vaccine is it's so much lower, I, this, I'm just paraphrasing what you said, than the, than the possible negative outcomes of even a healthy person getting COVID. And COVID is so contagious that I don't want you to think well, would I rather get it or get the vaccine? I want you to think, would I rather watch the most vulnerable person I love get this from me and suffer from it or get the vaccine? Okay. Now you're for sure getting a check from Big Pharma. That was a good I sales wish, pitch. man. Like, <laughs> yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> It would be. I mean, that has been extremely, extremely uh, helpful with just dispelling some of the myths. I know that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that that you are very open on your social channels on Facebook and Instagram about you know you going through this process yourself, and there is you know lots of mistrust and people are concerned. And like you said, part of it is also just change. Are there other questions that people have asked that we have not yet addressed? That if we have a couple more minutes, we can address them now. For sure. The biggest, most frequent question that I'm getting is how can you, Dr. G, how can you trust a vaccine that was developed so quickly? And that's a myth. So this vaccine, both what's in it, the coronavirus vaccine and the mechanism, the mRNA uh, way of delivering the vaccine, both have been in development since 2002 in different labs. mRNA is a technology for delivering 
cancer medications and viruses and all kinds of things that have been under delivered that have been under development for almost 20 years and and tested at, at different stages and really working it out and coronavirus vaccines have also been in development since 2001 2002 when we had uh, the the first big out, outbreak of this millennium of something that we thought could become a pandemic now thank god most of those coronaviruses that have looked like, oh, this could be very bad, they got stopped somewhere along the way by nature. And this one didn't, right? So H1N1 was pretty bad for a lot of people, but it wasn't as bad as this one. Uh, so we've been developing, testing coronavirus vaccines for a long time. So I have a metaphor that helps me to understand it. And I wonder if it will maybe help some of you too. Picture um, clothing design. So we've been developing for decades the thread and the fabric and the dyes. And a year ago, we said, oh, oh, okay, grab that thread that we've tested and we know works and grab that fabric that does a great job and grab those dyes. Here's the pattern for this piece of clothing. The coronavirus SARS-CoV-2, this particular one, this particular type of coronavirus needs this pattern on the clothing. So now here it is. Here's your, your new coat. <laughs> we made it in the right shape for this particular virus. But the cloth, the dye, the thread that goes into it, the method of weaving it together, all of that we've been developing for 20 years. Well, so basically it's not new. And what we've rushed to design is basically the graphic design. What we've been rushing to do is the pattern yeah. um, of and the you know, vaccine. Paris and Milan in New York, they come up with new clothes every year. <laughs> yeah, this is um, true. It is startling to feel like we've been told it takes years and years and years to develop a new medication and boom, they pulled this one out of nowhere. I promise you, they didn't pull it out of nowhere. Also, testing usually takes longer, not because it's more rigorous, but because it's harder to get people exposed to what we're testing. The only advantage of a pandemic is it's not hard to get your subjects exposed to the virus. Uh-huh. Well... Yes, because people do ask that. You're rushing to do yeah. this. Maybe it's a political thing. We, you know, people want to take credit for, you know, for solving it either now or later or whatever. Um, or there's there's a lot of money to the table. There's all sorts of other reasons why people want you know, to so rush it. And for the business-minded folks that you have, go ahead and read a little bit about how pharma actually doesn't make money from vaccines. It's a loss leader for them. Um, you know, Moderna, when they make money from this, it's going to be from that mRNA technology to develop, to deliver cancer drugs and other things. But uh, vaccines turn out not to be money makers. It turns out to be one of the things the big pharma actually does for social good. Okay. So that's, so that's, so. One, that's the, that's the most common question I'm getting. I'm also getting the question, has this really been tested adequately in, um, in populations of people of color? of black Americans, of brown brown folks, all that. And it is harder because of a lot of things the medical field has done terribly for decades and decades to convince folks of color to come into studies. But because this year happened to coincide with a year where racial conversation was on so many people's lips, a lot mm -hmm. of activists in black and brown communities got out there, asked, begged, drove people to go and be in these studies. And we really are testing it. We really are making sure that this is safe in every ethnic, genetic, pop, in every group. And so 
even if you're worried, like, and, and it's okay, like I said, it's good to think about loss and distrust and discomfort because it's you double checking, making sure this is the right thing to do. But I can tell you, I really do trust the research that shows that this is the right thing to do for adults who don't have a medical contraindication in every group. Okay. Um, one last point before, before we'll let you go. And it, we went much longer than I promised. Sorry. Um, adults, just what you said right now. So let's say nursing home residents bring this full circle. So they all have a whole host, not all, but many, many of them, a whole host of, of conditions and all sorts of meds that they're taking. Um, I understand that the frontline healthcare workers should all be vaccinated. How safe is it for the nursing home residents themselves who do have serious conditions uh, to take the vaccine? So I have to push back and say that also some frontline healthcare workers have medical True. issues um, and True. say, of course, you should talk to your doctor. And I just today, and I can send you a picture that we can put up underneath this, but I filled out, uh, you remember, you know how if you've ever gone for the flu vaccine, there's seven or nine questions that you answer that day. And some mm -hmm. of them are about how you're feeling, but some of them are about egg allergy or this or that, or, you know, are you on this medication or that medication? I think I answered 19 questions today. So oh, there, wow. is a, there is a questionnaire, a yes, no questionnaire at the beginning before you take it or before that nursing home resident takes it that's going to need to be filled out to make sure that they're appropriate. But it's the rare instance where it would be more dangerous to get the vaccine than to get the virus. Okay, amazing, amazing. I think we really covered um, you know, the bulk of these well, questions. I, whirlwind conversation. Yeah, definitely a whirlwind <laughs> conversation. That's a good way of uh, putting it. I'm definitely know so much more about the vaccine, about the process, about how it works. Uh, then before this conversation, I hope that our listeners and viewers um, have gained as much as I have from this. Thank you very much for getting the vaccine, for being so open about the process and really being helpful. I could say that from this conversation has encouraged me. I mean, I, I would do it anyway because we vaccinate all of our kids and I would do it whenever we get um, maybe I should become administrator for a month or two so I can get the vaccine. <laughs> um, anyway, but the point is, I, this is much more calming because we're talking about straight facts, addressing all the issues than just having a famous politician, celebrity, whoever, you Stick know, get, yeah, exactly. Do it on camera. Cause that's, it's almost like the ice bucket challenge right. you know, of 2020. And and Shmuel, I'd really like to invite anybody who's listening to um, get on my social media channels also. I am going to put up a video most days for the next couple of weeks and then maybe once a week and then after I get the second dose and let you know how I'm feeling and answer more questions. So I'll give a little bit about what I'm going through, but mostly answer the things that come up for you that you're wondering about as you work through your own resilience cycle about the loss and distrust and discomfort of a change, even though it's leading us to the future we have all been hoping for since last March. Yes, this is true. And um, we see from you, it's Ruben is sharing that this was super helpful. And a thank you to you, Dr. G. So thank you for coming on. And I will wrap this up with with, uh, with my personal thank you for coming on the podcast, really, you know, last minute type of thing. For sure. um, but this has been super beneficial. If people want to learn more about you, about your talks, about your work, um, where's the best place for them to follow everything that you're doing? The easiest place to follow me is my website. That's askdrg.com. But I hope also because of the uh, videos I'm putting up about this, that you'll come find me on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, also at askdrg. 
Uh, on Facebook, it's Ask Dr. G, spell out the word doctor, A-S-K-D-O-C-T-O-R-G, on mm -hmm. Facebook and on Instagram. And on Twitter, it's just Ask Doc G. Ask Doc G. Okay, but I assume if we, assume, uh, you know, if, if we can find you on your website, I think all the links, I checked it out, all the links are on your website, so all your they social. They are right at the top, all my social. Okay, from the Ellie also, the other Ellie also, a big thank you for all the information that you've shared. This episode will be available shortly. Um, we're going to expedite this to get this on the nursinghomepodcast.com where this episode, all past episodes and future episodes, this is the 61st recording of the nursing home podcast. I think we only have 56 of them out, but we'll definitely, we'll cut the line over here because this is something that is very timely and that people definitely need to hear. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for, for the amazing work that you're doing and for sharing so uh, generously of your experience and the information. And I'd like to thank everybody in your audience who is helping love and take care of and comfort people in nursing homes who in 2020 have needed you even more than they ever have before. Yes, they certainly have. And to call people healthcare, healthcare heroes, it, it sounds shallow because it's just thrown around everywhere. But it's even not even in, yeah. Yeah, even in 2019, this is true. Uh, I'll, I'll end with one story that I've heard. I know this is late, but if you have two more minutes, I'll end with one final story um, that I've shared on the podcast before. And I don't remember where it was, but I was at a nursing home event. And the presenter said that anyone who has walked in the snow to their nursing home, you know, please stand up. And 100 people stood up and said anyone who walked more than a mile remained standing. And there were probably 50 people still standing. Whoever worked, you know, you built it up three miles, four miles. Finally, it was up to five miles. There was still around 10 people standing. He said, who walked 10 miles or more? There were still two or three people standing. What job that pays the wages that unfortunately nursing home employees get paid attracts a type of caring, uh, selfless human beings that are caring for strangers in such a, you know, with such uh, dedication, uh, risking their health to get there. Um, you know, rain and shine. This is pre-COVID. Uh, during COVID, people will come. People were getting paid as much to stay home, as much. You know, they could have stayed home and literally gotten the same amount of money or more money than in the nursing home. That's a separate conversation. And they still chose to come and be exposed to it, not knowing anything, being told regulations that were being developed that didn't always make sense, and trying to use PPE that we thought worked this way, that we found out it worked that way, and just throwing themselves in there. So. It is understated on uh, probably on this podcast. I'm happy that you brought that up. So, but again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And we really appreciate everything you've done today. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.